I always shoot them on the run with my bow. This is your host, Jordan Risky of the Nimrods Podcast, brought to you by Risky Outdoors and Prime Archery. All right, so today we've got a pretty exciting uh, little podcast for you. Kind of got a different co-host with me today. We got good old, a guy that you guys are definitely going to recognize, Phil Holton, um, on here helping me out. How you doing, Phil? I'm doing all right. Uh, probably you've been better though, right? I have been better. <laughs> so I uh, broke my clavicle a couple weeks ago, and uh, that kind of set me back. Uh, haven't been able to shoot my bow, so... And I don't know how long it's going to take me to, you know, be able to shoot my bow, but it happens. It's not. That's not even the worst part, though. The worst part is the news that you can't go to Nebraska. Yeah, that that was a bummer. That trip last year was a whole bunch of fun, and I was looking forward to going again. Uh, but unfortunately, the way uh, through my work, I have to burn up all my vacation time before I can get. Uh, short-term disability so gotcha unfortunately that's the situation well um i know we can we'll touch base on this you're you're still a good cameraman which is good <laughs> yeah I'll, I, I can do that <laughs> so this morning uh phil and i went out and chased some gobblers i have one more day that i can get out and try so i thinking i'm gonna give that a go but this morning um, Phil and I, we kind of grew up hunting turkeys together, right? I mean, I never really hunted them until you and I started doing it. Nope. You were, uh, when I killed that first bird, that was, the, I think the first time, I don't know if it was the first time I've ever been out, but it was definitely the first time, I think a year was the first time I went out and I went with you. Gotcha. So, yeah. So we, uh, always saw these birds in this one field and we always dreamed about you know the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence always um and this field was constantly just full of birds and lo and behold you know many years later my brothers ended up buying a piece of property and now we have the opportunity to hunt on this ground and you know, we always we always said that it'd be nice to hunt it, but this morning was not the case. This bird got hung up out in the smack dab middle of a well, it used to be a pick bean field. Now that it's sprayed, so there's nothing growing in it. And that bird did not want to come out of the middle of this field, and it's a huge, huge field. So the closest I think we got to him was what 170 yards. I think I ranged him. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that was a weird situation. That was the longest time I've ever been on one bird. I mean, we were on him. He was gobbling in his roost before the sun came up. And what, we left at like nine-something. Yeah. We were on him for over three hours. Yeah. So, anyway, he he had two hens with him and then uh, kind of moved moved off. And, dude, we probably, we probably walked a good two and a half miles easily. And it never moved more than... 300 yards we were just going back and forth back trying to get in front of the birds to see which fence row we're going to come into the fence row we made our way around that field a couple times and yeah yeah, it didn't work out but maybe tomorrow morning hopefully maybe tomorrow morning so like i this has been the and i was telling phil earlier this off the podcast and this morning when we were hanging out i've never worked so hard to kill a turkey this year i don't know what it is (laughs) It's yeah. it's crazy. And then the other thing, like you mentioned, and a lot of guys are saying this. I haven't, I haven't, I'm, well, I kind of have noticed it, but you were saying earlier, like, you're surprised at how little turkeys we're seeing, like sheer numbers compared to what we used to in the past. Right. We used to, I mean, when we first started turkey hunting, we'd go out and we'd hear, you know, three or four different gobblers all around us, and we'd have to decide which one to go after. Yeah. Now it's we're, you know, we're lucky to find a one or two. Yeah. And that's, that. I mean, I, I've that is true, but I've been on more turkeys this year, but they're the same same turkeys every time. Like this one turkey, Jake and I have tried to kill several times, and it's the same bird. Exact, I know it is because he's roosting in the yeah. same spot with the same two hens, and we're just like we set up in one area and flies down to the other. This morning we set up in the that area and he flew down to the other. So it's just playing that cat and mouse. And then our pawpaw property, 
we've been hunting that, and we've been on, there's two long beards, probably two of the biggest birds that I've ever seen, and six hens with two birds. They have, they have six hens with them every time we see them. And when when that when that happens, only only thing you can do to actually try to hunt them is get in front of them, find out where they're moving to, set up and wait for them to come because they're not. I mean, we we tried calling, and that bird he was gobbling at us, but there is no way he was leaving those hens to come check us well, out. Yeah, I mean that's the thing about the late season. If they're stuck with some hens, you just got to get in front of them. You have a slim chance that he's going to leave those hens. Like this morning, Jordan and I had our first experience of seeing a tom mount a hen. So that was pretty cool. That was. That was, I was like blown away. We just sat there and watched. It's kind of creepy, but we just just sat there. And it was like a long time. He stood on Uh her, like just standing on her back, not even like mating with her, just literally standing on her back. And she got up, shook. That was a cool bite. Yeah. She got up, shook off, and like six feathers flew out of her and, it was pretty cool. It was a neat experience for sure. But we'll get on one in the morning. Hopefully kill one. Yeah, but the question is, uh, last day, are you going to bring your bow or a shotgun? Bow. Can't, I, can't, right. I can't bring myself to the shotgun. I, if I'm going to fail, I'm going to fail doing it the way I want to fail. So that's, right. that's what I'm doing. But anyway, so this podcast, we are getting another pretty good Michigan hunter. I, I'm going to say pretty good. Um, he killed an absolute stud, I think it was two years ago, um, Chad Vincent, and he is, he's married to one of my cousins and, um, just a flat out good guy. And I've not yet heard this story, Phil. So we're both just going to have to pick Chad's brain. He recently just sold his house and they just moved into a new place and I chatted with him a little a little bit the other day, just uh, the new property that he has. But um, the buck that he killed is a pretty special deer. And um, just kind of want to pick Chad's brain and figure out kind of how, how the whole hunt went down. And, yeah, we're going to go from there. But let's get Chad on the phone. All right, so we have Chad on the phone. Chad, I appreciate you joining Phil and I to uh, talk, talk deer on a uh, – a nice warm evening. Yes, thanks for having me. Heck yeah! So, go on and just introduce yourself and kind of give us a little little info on who you are, kind of what you do, and um, yeah, how you got into hunting. Okay, well, my name is Chad Vincent. Um, been working in the construction trades pretty much my whole life. Uh, grew up around it. My dad doing that as well. Um, still doing it. Uh, had a short stint working at Sheriff's Department locally. Enjoyed that. Made some great friends. And uh, been hunting probably since I was just a little guy. Uh, I was thinking about that today. I started out with a Red Rider BB gun, chasing sparrows. Uh, we had a family farm right out my back door. I was real fortunate and blessed to have that. And uh, could walk as far as I wanted to and started chasing small critters. And I was little guy and uh, my father was kind of a traditional up north hunter when I was young and uh, I had an older brother Jeff who you guys know who is an outstanding hunter and I a little bit of that rubbed off on me as far as his hunting and the want to uh, he's quite the machine in the woods but uh, I've learned a lot from that guy over the years and uh I have an older cousin, Todd, who I tagged along with for many years, and he's a big part of my hunting life and always will be and a great influence. And uh, he's got a big part of my success in the last few years. Awesome. So, Chad, did you start out bow hunting or like for whitetails, um, or, or were you a gun hunter to start out? Uh, I tell you, I, was, I started shooting bows when I was around 10. And I could not wait to turn 12 so I could start chasing the deer in the woods. Um, so, yes, I started with a bow. Awesome. And uh, <laughs> same way. I, uh, it took many years to get a, a good shot off on one. But, uh, gosh, I played cat and mouse with them for years and had a, just a ball. Um, it was a great time. And started soaking it up. And looking back, 
the, the equipment was so primitive and everything, but it was just as fun, if not more fun at times. <laughs> uh, for sure. I just, uh, Cassandra bought me a, a recurve for Christmas and I, I'm, I almost, almost enjoy shooting it more than I do my compound. And I don't know what it is. It's something like in me, it's like that primitive style of hunting is super exciting. And, you know, like the whole mystical flight of the arrow, everyone says, and Nugent, I think is a big one that says it. And there is, there's something so pure about it. And it just, it's addicting. That's, that's awesome that you got started into it through bow hunting and 12 years old. Can you imagine if, if they had the apprenticeship program back like when we first started? Because I know for me, Phil, it was for you too, right? Wasn't it 12 with a bow? Yeah, yep. Correct. I was 12 years old when I started too. And I all I had was a recurve. And my mom wouldn't let me go up in a tree stand. So I remember <laughs> that first year of hunting because I had some awful experiences just sitting on the ground. I didn't know what I was doing, but I had a lot of fun. <laughs> That's awesome. But... Um, so Chad, on the property that you grew up hunting, where like you say northern Michigan, like is that where your family farm was or is that just kinda where you guys went up and hunted? No, no. My my dad that basically was the only hunting he did. Okay. Um, and I was really interested in that. Obviously didn't get to do that until a little bit later. I think I was thirteen or fourteen when he started taking me out. We just would hit some state land up there, but um no we're we're nearby. We're close to where you grew up, and yep. uh, and Phil, and uh, our family farm is, and that's where I beat most of my tracks. And we had a, a thick river bottom, like I know you talk about a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I I've spent countless hours on that thing chasing deer, and uh, just like Phil was saying, it started out. I think we you know we sit on a five gallon pail and. That's I I know I do talk about that a lot, like the river bottom. It's if and and like people that are looking to buy property, cropland is amazing, but if you're looking for recreational land to kill big bucks, river bottom. Buy river bottom. River bottom, river bottom, (laughs) river bottom. (laughs) I agree. Oh man, it's it's special. I mean Phil hunts River Bottom and Josh hunts. You were saying that you learned a lot from family members. It's it's awesome that we learned a lot from family members. Like my dad taught me a ton. Josh taught me a ton. And the biggest regret that I that I have is that Josh taught me a bunch because he is such a good hunter and I can't can't stand it. He is he is just a he kills deer. I don't know how he does it. He, but but he can't do it with a bow. I pick on him all the time. That's the one thing I got up on him. He struggles with a bow. But, man, when it comes gun season, I know I'm getting a call on the 15th or the 16th because he shot something. May not, Absolutely. May not be mature, but he definitely shot something. And I know Phil loves that, don't you, Phil? <laughs> Phil loves Josh shooting uh, small box. <laughs> but, oh. Well, I think we're all fortunate. I mean, this this area, geographically, we have so many good hunters and people to look up to. If you think about it, there was there's many guys in this in our neighborhoods here that were shooting big bucks, I say, before it was cool. You know, they were shooting big bucks in the 80s and early 90s when that was a rare deal. And, yeah. uh, man, I really tried to pay attention to those guys over here. I still do. Yeah. I still do. And, and we're fortunate. There, there are quite a few. Yeah. Out there. And it's I I talk very unique area. It is. I, I think the area that we all grew up hunting is is very unique because there are guys that shoot some absolute giants in our area. And the thing about that area though, we have a lot of river bottom, we have a lot of swamp ground in in that area, excuse me, that hold big deer, plain and simple. But I always I always talk about this and we talk about like neighbors and stuff like that that really taught us how and like why we should hunt big bucks and i give this guy all the credit because there's only one person that i grew up around that actually pushed me to hunt big deer and that was laddie rector he was the guy that was like jordan you guys have killed a lot of small bucks says it's time that you start to chase some mature deer 
And there was something about him just telling me that. And it was like year after year. He's like, no more small, no more small deer. Start, start up in your game a little bit bigger, a little yeah. bit bigger. So, um, so that's my next question. Who, who was that person that kind of pushed you to, you know, just a little bit bigger? Not, not that big deer are, are like all we chase. Like, I don't, I don't want to put, put that, um, put that on there or anything like that that's all we all we hunt but who was that guy that like kind of pushed you over or girl <laughs> well for me it was my cousin todd and uh sometime i hope you get him on here because the guy is a real he's a whiz in the woods man he's he's good i respect him so much um and stepping back a little bit when i was around 10 years old, really chomping at the bit. He was a couple years older, and I would tag along with him uh, and, and go with him hunting. Uh, can you imagine a 10- and 12-year-old, you know, wandering a half mile away from their house, hour before dark, setting up. <laughs> it was uh, comical, but, man, we, we encountered deer. We had a great time, but um, to get back to your question, yeah, he's the one that uh, really has stepped the game up for me. We feed off each other so good he he's so technical i'm more of a run and gun type guy and um you know I, I rely on my shooting a lot and uh he's way more technical and has a slide rule out and maps and uh we do pretty good together as far as feeding back and forth gotcha that's that's kind of how i am with with phil phil is uh He's kind of my equalizer. I'm much like you, run and gun. I focus on I just need to make a good shot, and I know I'm confident with a bow, confident with a gun, although I don't hunt a whole lot with a gun. But, like, I know you put me within 60 yards, I'm going to make the shot. But getting me within 60 yards, I'm sometimes extremely aggressive and fills the guy that kind of holds me back a little bit. All right, Phil, who was, who was that one person that pushed you to start chasing big deer? Uh, I don't think I ever had a person, like, push me. To, uh, my mom's cousin comes out uh, every year from Pennsylvania to, to gun hunt, and he killed some really nice deer, and uh, I guess he's kind of a hunter that I look up to, so I guess he didn't. I've seen him kill some nice deer, and I know that, there's some nice deer out. Uh, I made up my mind like I was going to chase, you know, try to get something more. Gotcha. All right. So, Chad, my next question for you is 20, you said 2016, correct? Correct. All right. I want to hear the story. You killed a pretty special buck. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Uh, definitely a once-in-a-lifetimer. I hope not, but uh, I'm perfectly content with that, that year being my my best one. Um, and getting back to my cousin Todd, he probably deserved it well more than I did. Um, I would have liked him to shoot him, but I'm not disappointed that I ended up with that deer. Um, he, he, he had uh, way more encounters with him, actually, and... Uh, this is at his land. He's got land set up just for hunting, um, and he's done a great job, and I help him when I can, but he, he's really put the effort and time into it, and it shows. Um, uh, you go to this place, and deer are acting in their natural state, which is a big big plus for me. It's, uh, hunting deer in their natural state is is everything. Uh, I can't stand hunting spook deer, but yeah. um, no, I don't think anybody can, really, but... Uh, anyway, uh, he, he had a few encounters with this buck, and how it usually worked is Todd took a vacation a little before I was able to. Um, I was limited on time off, and um, what always works out fairly decent is Todd usually shoots a very nice buck down there, and it kind of relieves the pressure, and then I feel good to, to hunt with him after that. You know, I don't feel like I'm imposing as much. Yeah. And, uh so he has spotted this buck, and he told me, he said, Chad, this, this buck is uh, he's big. And, I, you know, people say that, but Todd knows his deer, you know, and he said, uh, and he don't, usually don't brag him up. And, and he said, Chad, this, this deer is going to go close to 170. I don't know if it's 170, but it's close. Jeez, so, wow, you must really get a good look at him, you know. Um, maybe 
you know, I kind of fun him a little bit. Maybe you should have had your bow ready instead of had your scorecard out, you know. So, <laughs> but anyway, uh, he even got a crack at him, and uh, the shot was deflected, and uh, we figured he's probably gone for good. You know, you, you usually don't bump a, a buck like that without him moving on, yeah. in my opinion, or going solely nocturnal or, um, you know, something like that. And, so we're creeping at the end of bow season and the rut's on hard. And so I get a few days off and, uh, we get in there and we mostly evening hunts is what we were hitting. Uh, it seemed to be working better with weather and everything. And even, even during, even during the rut, you guys were only going out there in the evenings. Well, it just worked out with me, I guess, more so because of my schedule that I was out there more in the evening. And okay. We were having a little better luck, I believe, at the time okay. in the evening um, for whatever reason. But uh, so in that last week, I was hunting near a real thick bedding slash food plot area. So this is a, a heavy, thick, uh, plenty of hinge cut sections with spotted food plots in between. And... The does would go into it. There would be all kinds of racket. Uh, it was horrible. Then the does would file back out. And I watched that two or three different sets. And I was sitting around this thing. And I said, there's something big in there. And I assumed it was that buck um, or a, a decent one. But yeah. man, was it just, he was tearing it up in there. And the does were going to him. Hmm. Um it, we, I saw it several times. They were going to him. Things were tore up. They'd come back out a little while later. Uh, it was it was strange. I only thing I knew is I needed to keep being there, or close by, because yeah. something decent was going to happen. Um, and there was plenty of small bucks, but they wouldn't proceed into this thick area, um, which also kind of tipped me off that we might have something decent going on in there. Um, I think it was uh, November 13th. I caught a glimpse of part of his antler moving through some of that uh, with my glasses. Um, and I was pretty certain that was him. And, uh, of course, it got dark and I had to back out. Uh, hunted the 14th. Heard a lot of ruckus. Same thing, bottom of the ninth. <laughs> Darn it. You know, we're going to have to go out with a gun tomorrow morning. But uh, so so we get out plenty early. And, and Todd, you know, I, I told him, where, where do you want to set? And he told me, which wasn't anywhere near this area. Yeah. And I said, are, are, you, are you sure? I mean, it's probably several hundred yards, but not close to it like I'd been hunting it. And I was like, Man, I've been hearing him, but he goes, no, I, I really think I need to go over here. I said, okay. And he said, where are you going? So I picked a stand I had not hunted. I had shot bucks out of it before, but it was close to this. And the wind was actually kind of parallel on it. So it wasn't blowing straight in it, but it was blowing just past it. Um, and if you remember, we had a pretty good rain system coming in that day, two years ago, in the day gun season. Okay. Uh, um. So the morning come out real still, um, had a little bit of a south wind, which was taking it, like I say, parallel past this, um, this spot. And as soon as it got nice and light, those filed out of that area, which was kind of odd. And I had eight does surrounding my tree. Um, basically I just got ready and this tree is a shag bark hickory. Why we picked this tree, other than the, the location of it. So it, noisy. It is the loudest darn thing in the world. You know? <laughs> I hate shag bark hickories. I've, I have literally, so our property in Illinois, I have tried to set up in those trees, and you go to stand up, and it's like the, like you get caught on crap. Oh, they're awful. Just awful. They are. You can't hardly adjust your weight in the seat without you yep. know, alarming the whole wood, you yep. know. But uh, so, but it's it's kind of a three part tree, and there's one off to my right, and so I actually placed my gun up behind that tree because I knew there was too many eyes around me, and they knew something was up. They didn't know exactly what was going on, so they just kind of 
stalled out right there. And I knew that was a good thing. I knew it was good. And I see kind of deer moving through the woods here and there. And uh, all of a sudden, just a deep grunt. And it was like he erupted out of the ground. Hmm. He was 30 yards broadside from me, straight in front of me. Jeez, oh, peace. I am. I have a couple ideas of where he came from, but I was really patrolling it, that area quite well, and it, it was amazing. It was just like a ghost. He just popped out of the ground. Huh. And uh, how far? How far I, were? How far were you from that thicket that you were talking about? Um. So it kind of came to a pinch point right there. Um. There was one corner of it. Um. Literally. 20, 30 yards. Okay. Um, was the edge of it. So, and, and basically, that that point that met a, a hardwoods, which had some hinge cutting in it as well. But um, it, yeah, it all it all met at a, a V right there. Okay. So had had you hunted this stand in during the season at all, or did your cousin hunt this stand at all during the season? We both had. Oh, okay. So we this this wasn't yeah. like your first sit in there. No, okay. no. Um, I've shot, besides him, I've shot another decent buck out of the same stand. It's obviously my favorite stand, yeah. but um, it's a good spot. But And, you, you know, I, I always say within a glimpse of seeing a deer, you know whether you're going to shoot it or not. And yep. I've questioned that a few times, but I, I say that often. And I knew. I, I, just, I just concentrated on the shot. You know, made the shot, and uh, almost instantly. I mean, he ran off. Yeah. And which my, my heart dropped, of course. But um, I, I got a text from Todd, <laughs> and he said, oh, "Are you okay?" <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think I shot him. Oh boy. And he said, "We." And another, I talked about we feed off each other. Um, we always calm each other down in that situation. Uh, and I, I think a lot of people do that, have that buddy, hey, let's let's go back, let's yeah. go have a meal or something, and then yeah. <laughs> go track him later. You know, because the person shot wants to track. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he said, just keep, keep calm, we'll go look for in a little while. And, uh, of course, you know, you're going to the tremors at that point where oh, yeah. I couldn't hardly stay in the stand. Yeah. That was pretty cool up to that point. And, and I'm glad I didn't watch him come across the field, to be honest with you. Yeah. I don't know if I could have pulled the shot off. Yeah. Um, so it was kind of fortunate how he erupted out of the ground like that. But um, uh, about that time, there was a little grumble in the air. And uh, you could you could tell the wind kind of shifted, and you could smell rain coming. Yeah. And... So he texts me back. He says, uh, there's rain in the next town to the west. You better get down and look for him. So, yeah. oh, goodness. You know, the last thing I want to do is bump this deer and, you know, chase him off. And and as nervous as I was, I, I there was no blood at, at the point where I shot him. And so I started tracking down a trail where I thought he went. Didn't find anything. Got really nervous. Um had to calm myself down, went back, <laughs> replayed everything again, took a few minutes, took another trail, and it kind of wide off, and he was just piled up probably 30 yards. Jeez, okay. Um, yeah, he was, uh, it was just a dream come true, really, to be mm. honest with you. 30, 31 years, I think, hunting, and, I mean, it all, the emotions and everything, just, just like you... Winning the big game, and you know, uh, yeah. not saying it's a game, but it was just uh, something to work hard for mm-hmm. for a lot of years. It, it kind of happened easy at that point, but there were many, you know, post hauls and stuff over the years of different deer that you know kind of led up to this point. So it was quite an emotional time for me. Right yeah, now. heck yeah, no, I I get that. Like the videos that I posted, like. If you look at our elk hunting or our elk hunt trip, like I broke down after I killed that bull, and there's like comments on that, that are like just it's people being stupid. Like you can't cry during hunting, and just I'm like BS, dude. Like you don't understand how hard you work, and like I'm from Michigan, like you don't get this. Right, but man, that's, that's great. 
That's awesome. Did you? So there were, he didn't bleed like at all then. No, I mean maybe one or two spots, and and it was a good shot. I mean it, it pretty much double lunged him, but um, he yeah he didn't make it very far at all. It's amazing. Were you were using a, a shot twelve gauge? Yeah, that's another thing about me is uh, a lot. You know, I talk about my primitive tools. Uh, I don't come a long ways when it comes to that. <laughs> I I, got, I use an old H seventy, and hey. honestly, I, I have people make fun of me. At, the, the scope that's on it looks like a toilet paper tube with two crosshairs in it, you know. And, uh, I've used that thing forever. It's been a trusty old girl, and um, I probably will use it from here on out. Uh, I was, I was, I was literally just talking with uh, Jake, who does the podcast with me, and we we were talking. He's got a really nice. Um, Winchester, it's uh, semi-auto. He got it for his his wedding, a wedding gift, and we were talking about the 870. I think it's one of the probably one of the most sold, if not the most sold shotgun, probably in the U.S. Maybe Mossberg's probably right up there with them, the 500. But that 870 is the one of the most, if not the most reliable shotgun. Those things are they're killers. They're they're a, they're a freaking great gun. Uh, yes, they are. They're simple, easy, but man, do they 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 do work. They're they're a great gun. But yeah. So not that it matters, but what did he score? Well, uh, I never had him officially scored. Um, uh, Dan and Emily and everybody over at Nature's Drive there threw hands on it and threw threw tapes to it. Um, and I, I'm a little different like that, you know. A lot of people said you, you should have took that deer down to the to the buck pole and won and everything else. No, I killed that deer for me. You know, yeah. I, I, I appreciate him. I appreciate what it is. Um, but everybody scored him at uh, one sixty eight and three quarters, <laughs> and uh, so that Todd was pretty close. <laughs> Jeez, oh Pete. He's he's a um, tank. He's just he's just a simple mainframe ten, right? Yep, just almost, you know, zero deduction, 10, 10 point long times, you know, textbook 10, like you say, yeah. He's perfect. He is, he's probably one of the best deer I've ever, like, I've ever seen. Um, I, uh, I dropped off, Cassandra and I both shot bucks in Illinois that year. I shot a, a seven point that was wounded, wounded. It was bad. His hips were shoved up through his spinal cord in his back. It was, uh-huh. it was crazy. But I remember taking my deer over there, and I was like, you know, it's a good buck. I'm still, I'm, I was still happy for harvesting him. I did the right thing. Cassandra shot a nice seven point, and she was tickled to death for for harvesting the deer. And then I get over there and dropping a. It's depressing sometimes walking into their shop. You know this. I mean, it's humbling. It yeah. is. Everyone that walks into that shop gets humbled. I don't care. You you can shoot a hundred and six hundred and seventy inch buck like yourself, and you can walk in there and just be like, "Oh my gosh, he's still not the biggest in the woods." <laughs> right, exactly. But it's exactly. it's awesome. I exactly like what you're saying though. You, you shot you shot that deer for you. you. It doesn't matter. But I always like asking guys like, "What he scored?" Just because you can put it into perspective. Like guys, exactly. No, shoot, I agree. I understand. Yeah, I agree. Like I, sh- you shoot a 150 inch buck in Michigan. That's giant, absolute giant. A 130 inch buck in Michigan is is big. 120. I don't. I mean, that's a big deer. And then guys that like yourself that shoot 160 plus plus inch deer, not not very many of them ha- are taken in Michigan every year. There are a few every year, but there's not not that many. Right. So that's yep. that's crazy. So if you don't mind me asking, like, how many acres is it that that you're hunting? Uh, that particular parcel, I believe, is sixty-five. Okay. Um, I, I still hunt the, the family farm occasionally, the river bottom. Uh, that originally was a hundred, but it's been kind of cut off. I believe there's, uh, as far as huntable, there's probably only like thirty-three. Okay. And. Um, we just, one of my goals now, we just bought a new house. We only have 10 acres here, but one of my goals is to shoot a decent buck on this 10 acres. And, uh, I know it sounds impossible, but 
know, I doubt I'll see a, a 160-class buck out here, but I'd be proud to take a 120-inch buck out here. Um, Heck yeah. And I know a lot of people have frowned on that, and, but, you know, it's uh, it's all about the hunt yeah. for me and uh, the pursuit of it. So. Heck yeah. Kind of, like... I always ask guys too, like, like how how big of a track are you hunting on? Because some guys are more fortunate. Like Phil has a pretty large track that he hunts on. Um, I'm fortunate enough to tag along with him sometimes, and then Cassandra and I have a nice little piece of property, and then my brothers, and then our family farm. So we do have a lot. Like I'm very humbled, and I, and I love it. But it's the right ten acres that you can kill a big deer i mean there's josh and my brother joe and andy bought that piece of property and it's you could hunt five acres of it and i guarantee you you could kill a big buck on it every year on five acres i mean it's it's possible it's just owning owning the right the right 10 acres i mean there's that block like where my mom lives, you could own 10 acres on that block. I mean, David Oakley owns like a little 20 acre piece and he shoots, Uh he shot an absolute tank in there like a couple of years ago. I mean, it's, it's definitely possible. Um, so back to the, the piece of property that, that you're hunting. So ag fields around, or is it mainly bedding? Like what, what is like, if you could give me like a percentage of kind of what you're hunting, like food plot, bedding, and then like ag field. Sure. So it has a large, large ag farm to the north of it. And it it helps, but it doesn't um, because it's a dairy farm and they chop their corn every year. So it kind of creates a desert out there. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe it does help. Maybe it pushes some deer out of there. Um, I'm not sure that the jury's still out on that. Um, but the majority of this land was kind of a typical hardwoods when uh, he first bought it and um, it was pretty wide open. In fact, some people we know told us, oh, there's no deer in there. Um, and it kind of took that as a personal challenge of making some deer come there, you know, kind yeah. of, if you build it, they'll come. Um Hinge cutting, like you were saying, hinge cutting brings deer. I mean, if you can thicken up an area and like get underbrush and stuff growing, you you'll hold deer. Absolutely, and uh, Todd said the best. He and I were talking today, and uh, you know, there's a lot of hardwoods around Michigan, but to have one with a good thick bottom, good healthy thick bottom where bucks can lay in and not need to move out. Uh, is is big and and there's not as much of that and that's kind of what he has created down there um with some carved out food plots here and there of course he's got water um that helps there's a pond in the middle of it that's a big deal and he's fortunate enough to have almost some natural springs that come out of some of the hills and kind of drizzle down and uh hold a little water even within the woods um which is a really cool thing um and the one thing I think it's it's really unique about the property, and it helps is it has some rolling hills amongst it. So he, there's a lot of uh, elevation change in this thing, and it and it really creates a lot of funnels and um, areas they can hide and stay comfortable. Gotcha. Yeah, when you when you get like those natural funnels, definitely helps because it. It does. It pushes deer in, in certain areas. And I, I've learned that over the past probably like two years that I've really noticed that is learning how to hunt hillsides and, and learning how deer use them for not only just for travel, but for bedding. And I think a, a big part of that was when I was hunting in Wisconsin. It's a lot of a lot of that rolling hills and deer just move different there than they I don't want, well, they moved different there than they did here because I grew up hunting ag fields. And then when we moved back, I had the option to hunt some more, you know, like you're saying, areas where there's a little bit of hills. And you, if you can pattern a deer, you know that they're working certain areas like our property that we have in over here on the west side of the state. It's all flat, super wet. I mean, it's, it's pure swamp, but on one end of it, 
our southwest corner and our southeast corner of our property is super i mean it's really high ground i mean there it's very steep hills and last year was our first year hunting it and we didn't push into the the south end of it just because our access was from the north and it's kind of like the northwest side we worked our way down that way because the northeast side if you went that way was you pretty much had to wear waders to get back in there and we we were blowing deer out so we waited unfortunately we waited till later in the season to just start pushing in there to see how deer were moving and i wish we would have got back in there a lot sooner because they use those hillsides way more than i thought that they would and sure it's just it's interesting so i know i went on a tangent there about hillsides and working working hillsides but hey it's i i and they they bet on those south facing slopes and uh, east facing slopes on super windy days we predominantly have a west wind and they're betting on those sides just to stay out of that wind a lot of times that's what i'm seeing anyway but yeah I, i've had a hard time uh figuring out the wind through them though it kind of changes and uh yes it's creating a lot of a lot of area for deer to to be comfortable in but i, I it's tricky with the wind sometimes with those yeah. darn hills like that so yeah i've been burned yeah for sure oh they come off the yeah and then morning and night your thermals are moving different i mean you could have the same exact wind but it's going to change at night compared to the morning and i've seen that even if you have the same exact direction wind same speed temperature moving it's yeah i don't get into that game because i i honestly don't think that you could be a, a mature buck snows no matter what if if you get if he catches your wind he's gone there's no product out there that can 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 stop it so but all right um couple couple last questions for you chad and then we'll wrap it up um one being this is this kind of a tougher tougher well i got two questions they're both kind of tough um if you could tell your younger self one thing that would help them become a better hunter that you know now, what would that one thing be? It's kind of cliche, but patience. Uh, Patience and probably stay out of your best areas. Uh, I used to just rush into them. I'd hunt October like a dog. Uh, First part, just because I was just so excited to hunt when I was younger. Mm -hmm. I, I was in the woods constantly, you know, and, uh, I think older Chad has figured out to kind of stay out <laughs> during certain times of the year and maybe wait for right weather conditions, you know, getting back to Shane Bunce's, uh thoughts on his hunt, uh, you know, uh, just kind of picking your time to go. Yeah. I think that, that would be a big one. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's interesting. I mean, like you were saying earlier, you're kind of the spot and stock run and gun, like, let's go. And now, now you're telling me patience, so I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I trust you, Chad. But <laughs> well, I, I wish I had more patience. I guess, especially as a younger guy. Um, yeah, I think I would have been more successful. Yeah, no, I'm I'm right there with you. Like everyone, everyone that I hunt with or hunt around, just tell me you need to be more patient, be selective. And the guy Phil, he he dropped off this call a while ago, but um, he's a. Uh, he's adapted to that and he's hunt he hunted maybe you know six seven times last year and killed a, a great buck and could have killed many more um but he just kept trying to get me on a deer and unfortunately i didn't connect here in michigan but um that dude is teaching me more and more about patience and and times to actually go in and hunt and just picking the right the right moment so I think that's huge for sure. But all right, my last my last question: What do you think Michigan could do to become a a better state for for deer hunting? Like, what's your what's your one change that you would like to see? Goodness, that that's kind of a, the giant question. That's a tree stand set. All day set ponder right there, <laughs> um, and, and you can you can approach this from every angle. And, and I'm still fighting it. I'll be honest with you. I mean, I think the first, 
initial thing for everybody to say is, hey, one buck tag. And, and, and I, I like that. I'm on board with that. Um, I've got other thoughts. I don't know if it's ever feasible, but I've always thought that I think, you know, issue a doe tag, and when you bring her in, they record it and actually have some data on this deer, and and then you kind of uh, – you. You earn your buck tag, you know, through maybe uh, taking a doe. Gotcha. Uh, I don't know if we have the resources for that. That's just, you know, you could ponder all this back and forth, and people would argue. Uh, so maybe the simplest thing would be a one buck tag. Uh, you know, I know we all want bigger bucks. I mean, that's the ultimate goal. But you know, we've taken some decent bucks, and you know, it's all perspective, I guess. Yeah. You know, granted, I know Iowa. They're not going to shoot anything unless it's, what, 160, 170. <laughs> and I'm just as proud of a 150, 140 buck here, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess I can't really answer your question, Jordan, but you can ponder it. It's fun to think about. Yeah. I don't know. It, it, it's arguable no matter what you say. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's the thing with Michigan. Like, Josh is a, a big proponent of – I want two buck tags. He says, I'm a Michigan hunter. I've always grown up hunting and I've always hunted and been able to harvest two bucks. I, that he's like totally against the one buck tag. And yeah, I'm, I like, like you, like, I, I don't know what the answer is. Like everyone, the thing is, everyone's like, it's not about the big bucks. No, I, I agree. It's not about the big bucks, but to have a healthier deer herd and having mature deer. Like I've hunted in Illinois and I, and like you're saying, just watching deer in like their natural state when, when it is like a natural state and there's not, you know, 50 does running around and you have one buck on a 50 acre piece of property and he doesn't have to, like you're saying, he doesn't have to go out of that thicket to go breed a doe. They're coming to him. Like, Right. That's that's mind blowing. Like you go down to Illinois and or Iowa or Missouri or Kansas or you know Ohio. Like these guys are k- killing big deer because their their deer herds are are. I mean, I'm no like deer expert, but they're healthier. Like I've I've witnessed yeah. it. I've seen it. Like you're going out and I'm not seeing. 15, 20 spikes or fork horns. I'm seeing good, healthy, mature three and a half year old deer, and and not a million does. So I, I mean that's that's what it's about. It's about having a healthier deer. It's not about the whole trophy. That that's not why I want a one buck tag or uh, earn a buck tag. That's that's not. And I and I think that's for most deer hunters. Like the guys that do want to see the change, it's not for the trophy deer. And that right. that comes along with it for sure. Like healthier deer, right? Deer, deer, deer that are in their natural state, and a buck that has to get up and move and find a doe. It's that's natural. It's not natural for a hundred and sixty-eight inch buck to sit in a bedding area and have five, six does keep coming in there, especially during rot. That that's not normal. <laughs> So, uh, no, I, I'm a big proponent of, I've mentioned this on podcasts before, but I'm a big proponent of, I want to say it's like Utah or uh, it's one of those Western states. So it's earn a buck tag, but your second buck tag, you're paying an out-of-state price for it. It's interesting, interesting because, uh-huh. because guys are going to be more selective on shooting that first buck. Guys that don't care about a trophy or a, a trophy buck or a big managed buck, they can still harvest their, their small deer. That's completely fine. But if they want to shoot another one, they're going to pay for it. And if they don't want to pay for it, then they're, they're not getting a second buck tag. And then that guy that does want to pay for it is going to offset the four that didn't pay for it. You know, and I, I, I just think it's interesting, like... I'm sure there's a lot more that goes into that and guys could pick it apart, but I always just thought it was, 
it's a very interesting concept, and I liked it. I thought it was a, a pretty cool idea. I don't think I'd ever pay, being a resident, I don't think that I'd ever pay for a second buck tag out of state, being like 200 and some dollars for, for uh, I mean, in, in Michigan, I don't think I'd ever, ever pay that much again. So, but... It's interesting, uh, but like you're saying, uh, it's it's an all-day treat, an all-day set to think about that. I mean, you can pick it apart left and right. In the end, we just want we want better, healthier deer herds, not a Agreed. not a ten to one buck to doe ratio to, uh, or doe to buck. But anyway, all right, enough jib jabbing, Chad. I I appreciate you coming on, man. Um, it was fun. Uh, first time I got to hear hear the story of this monster. So you'll have to send me some pictures of him so I can post it with with the the in all of our social media and stuff, and we'll link it to the to the podcast for you. But again, I appreciate you coming on and sharing with us. Well, I appreciate you having me. Yeah, been fun. Definitely. We'll we'll have to we'll have to get do a recap after you shoot another 170 inch this year. <laughs> Uh, we can hope, right? <laughs> yeah, we can hope. <laughs> Thanks again, Chad, for coming on. Uh, it was great, great to chat with you. Um, we lost Phil kind of halfway through, and sorry everybody for the a little bit of static there. Um, we just kept losing losing Phil during the call, but um, overall, great podcast. If you guys enjoy listening to us, you can. It would help us a lot if you gave us a five star rating. Just go into iTunes, scroll down little five stars click it um leave some comments let us know of people that you want to hear from and what you would like to hear about um we're definitely taking suggestions we have a couple really good hunters lined up in the next couple weeks to chat with so we're, we're super pumped about that talk strategy and um kind of wrapping up our turkey season here in the next couple days so uh, hopefully we get a bird on the ground. If not, it's been a pretty awesome, awesome season. So, um, that being said, like, share, do everything you can. YouTube, Risky Outdoors, uh, we would appreciate it. Um, as always, thank you guys for listening. We appreciate it. Stay stealthy and strive to become a Nimrod. Mm-hmm.